from Buster on Arrested Development to his Emmy-winning role as Selena Meyer's body man Gary on Veep, Tony Hale has already proven himself to be one of our generation's comedy greats. Meet him here on Pop Culture Confidential. will destroy you in ways that are so creative they will honor me for it at the Kennedy Center. We are going to make Buddy Calhoun the next governor of this dried coyote turd of a state. So saddle up those emphysema tanks, you inbred cousin fuckers. Mike, are you kidding me with this? That's the only sunscreen I could find You here. look like the world's least fucked geisha. Look at us, just oh, like yeah. the good old days, it's except great. shittier in every conceivable yeah. way. Indeed. I'm proud to be here for National Volunteer Week. I also do wallpaper. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling-Biro. Welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential. I'm so excited to talk to actor Tony Hale this week. We are just around the corner from the season six premiere where we find President Selena Meyer, played incredibly by the master Julia Louis-Dreyfus, is out of political office. And currently she's searching for a new purpose in life, her legacy post-presidency. And what does this mean for her staff, all of whom have to find new jobs this season? Veep's amazing ensemble includes, to name a few, Anna Klumsky, Matt Walsh, Timothy Simons, and my guest this week, two-time Emmy winner Tony Hale. Hale plays Gary, the so-called body man to Selena Meyer. He accompanies his boss everywhere, holding her oversized handbag and whispering information in her ear as she needs it. Tony Hale perfectly inhabits the anxious, bullied, and awkward Gary. Gary? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do you have my hand cream? Oh, yeah, I got the new formula from La Prairie. No, no, just give me the whole tube, because you can't come into this next meeting either. And I'm totally fine with that. Well... Oh, Joint Chiefs are on their way. We should hear their big clanking balls any second, and then all the paintings will fall off the walls. Oh, hey, Gary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the coffee that the Navy stewards use? (laughs) I can only imagine. It's... Heaven. Oh. It's like Colombian tongue sex. Wow. Why don't we ever use that coffee? I don't know, but you love our old coffee. Yeah. Before Veep, Tony Hale inhabited another anxious character, namely Buster Bluth of Arrested Development. Buster is also dominated by a strong woman, his mother, Lucille Bluth. Tony Hale's portrayal of Buster and his fictional relationship with the great Liza Minnelli made him an instant cult classic. I'm thrilled to talk to Tony Hale, who's in New York just ahead of the season premiere of Veep. We talked about if the Trump election has impacted their comedy this season at all, what it's like to learn from comedy greats like Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and if being bullied himself and having a history of anxiety has helped him at all in developing his characters. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Tony Hale. Mr. Hale, thank you so much for talking to me. Oh my gosh, you kidding? Thank you for having me. This season takes place in a post-presidency, um, and sort of awkward time when, when the president is looking for what to do, charity work or deal. What does this mean for Selena and for Gary? Oh, it's been a journey. Um, I think it's... Yeah, because so she did it. Yeah, so she did it when the presidency at the end of season five, which was devastating for Selena and absolutely traumatic for Gary because... 
he doesn't understand why she wasn't just handed the presidency because she's the obvious choice. When, when in reality, she's a horrific person whose only motivation to be president was for herself. <laughs> but Gary sees her as, you know, as close to Jesus as possible. Um, so the great thing about this season is you've never really seen what happens to these presidents after they're president. Right. There's never been a show that kind of examines that. And, and it's so interesting because since her motivation to be president was all about herself and all about that power, so much of her identity was in having that role, and when that's taken away, you go from being the most power, one of the most powerful people in the world to just a regular citizen. And for her, that is particularly difficult because she is now desperately trying to stay relevant right. and trying to hold on to that power, and it's not possible. So she, of course, spirals out, and I am just desperately trying to please her. And, I mean, it's just, all of it's just, She's trying to get a library, which, I mean, it's just, everything is just chaos, which <laughs> as it should be, except for the comedy comes in. But my character is just as dysfunctional and unhealthy as ever. But in general, after the, the real election, were you guys kind of freaked out that Veep would sort of be out-crazed by reality? I know, it's very difficult to do a political satire when you're watching, political satire when you're watching the news and it's become its own political satire. Um... Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy because, I mean, the fact is, I think years ago, if, even if, if if the writers had written a character like Trump and said, having said some of the stuff he's been saying in the press, HBO would have thought it was too broad. <laughs> yes. they, they, they would have been like, no, no one will believe this. And it's actually happening in the news where stuff is being said in the news and happening in the news where you're like, I cannot believe this, this would never even have been written, you know? So that's, it's very surreal. How do you think S- Selena Myers and Trump would get along? Oh, that's buddies. Yeah? Um, I think they would, yeah. I think they would, I mean, I think Selena Myers, Trump, I think some person Frank Underwood in there from House of Cards. Um, but, um, yeah, I think they so Gary is what's called a body man. Is this a real position in in politics? Yeah, uh, yeah. We um we actually before we shot the pilot years ago, we were able to meet some of the people who had had our positions, and we were able to talk to them and kind of about their lives. And I met this guy who was um, who, who talked about how in his late twenties he was a body man to a certain politician, and he did it for a couple of years, and then he moved on to other things. Mm-hmm. And during those couple of years, he had no life. He never saw his family. He never saw his girlfriend, anything. He was just all the time this politician, and then he moved on to other stuff. My character, however, has stayed into it into his 40s <laughs> yeah. because he doesn't know anything outside of Selena Meyer. He doesn't, his identity is her identity. He worships her. He goes home at night and practices how fast he can get stuff out of his bag. Right. You know, so it's like, it is just so, it is so a part of his identity that, I mean, if, you know, if she ever goes to work at a grocery store or something like that, he's still going to be carrying her purse. Your character is quite the anxious type, I would say, and, and has certain things. Oh, in, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> Are you good at that? Oh, very good at that. I have a history of anxiety that I use in my work. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been, I'm, 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 uh, I'm myself post-therapy, where I don't think my characters have ever been in therapy. 
Um, but it's nice to, having had a history of anxiety, it's nice to kind of use it for good. Right. <laughs> like I, I can use it in my work and it can actually be, it can actually benefit my career. Because Buster from Arrested Development had some similar similarities about about this. Even oh, though, yeah. Um, and you have talked, which has helped a lot of people, about you yourself being bullied um, as a kid and it's helped people mm. who have been. Mm. How did you get through that and what tools did it teach you? Um, it's weird. It's one of those things like I, I had a, I had, well, honestly, I, yeah, I was, I was bullied when I was younger and I, and because I was living in the South mm-hmm. and, um, which is like Florida, Alabama and, and sports was a big thing and I was not an athletic kid. And so I didn't really know much, neither myself or my parents really didn't kind of know what direction to put me in. And by the grace of God, I found this, my parents found this theater called New Actors Theater in Tallahassee, Florida, which was a children's theater. Mm-hmm. And they signed me up for it. And it really just allowed me to, you know, freely be myself, kind of without judgment, be as crazy and neurotic and discover myself in, in a safe space and do theater. And I'm just eternally grateful for that. So I think mean, that had a lot to do with, I had a real safe space there, even though high school or middle school was really rough. So that's one thing to do is to find a safe place with your interest is what you what you're saying. I would say yeah, and it's and the thing is even if you don't go into it as a career, um, it's something about being in an arts community that really helps certain personalities like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it just there's a freedom there to play. You know, you can you just don't feel judged for for kind of being you know crazy and neurotic and because you can kind of put it into the acting and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I'm a huge advocate for keeping arts in the schools, obviously. I remember in, in season four, there's that amazing fight that you have with Selena, um, where for the first time, Gary's like yelling something like, you fucking can't live without me. And all our inner school, yeah. inner middle schoolers were like yelling, yes, go Gary, <laughs> finally. Was that a big moment, we would say? Um, well, it was, it, was, it was, it's funny because, in Gary's world, he thinks that she can't live without him, mm-hmm. whereas she probably doesn't even know Gary's last name. So it was so it was so jarring when she said that all she sees me as is a middle aged man who sanitizes her tweezers. Right. And Gary was just like, What? So it was like that's when that's when the dam broke and he just let her have it. You are unimportant. Okay? And you have suckered on to me like some sort of a car window Garfield. That is not true, ma'am. You think you're some sort of a big shot here? Oh, my God. You are not a big shot, Gary. You're a middle-aged man who sanitizes my tweezers. God. You're wrong. Excuse me? When's Catherine's birthday? June 8th. 9th. Which senator's daughter's in rehab? You're out of line, Missy. Gildre, what are you wearing tomorrow? I don't know. I do. I'm your calendar. I'm your Google. I'm your Wilson the volleyball. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. I have broken my body for you. Oh, come on. I have let myself be laughed at. I have let myself be humiliated. And I'm happy to do it. Most of the time, you don't even know that I exist. But I am fucking everything to you. Oh, I am so happy to get somebody else to give me my hand cream. Okay, go. Can you find somebody else who did what I did? And it's crazy. The crazy thing about Gary, though, is he, he gets so much verbal abuse and just, you know, 
many just abuse from her, but he doesn't, it's like he doesn't even hear it or see it, and he just pops back. This very dysfunctional, unhealthy way, he's just like, pops back and just sees her as, you know, Mother Mary. He just doesn't even, like, hear it or see it. It's, it's, it's wild to me. Right, right. Because Buster in Arrested Development, who also has a powerful woman who, in a way, has bullied him, he, he's yeah. a little bit more... Uh, sir, I mean, he—he's—I he, don't know what you would say, but he's also—he'll—he'll he'll rebel a bit more, it seems. Yeah, that's interesting. I never—I never thought about that, but you're right. Like he definitely will scream back at his mom, and they have a lot more tension in their relationship. Where Gary is just completely a servant to her, and only in certain points has he spoken up. But it is not a regular occurrence. Right, right, that's right. That's true. I never thought about that. But um, you have worked with some ensembles of the greatest, with Tambor, with uh, Lisa, Eliza freaking Minnelli, um, Julie Liu-Dreyfus, and, and Matt know. Walsh. Um, I don't get the sense that you, you studied improv. You were a journalist ma- uh, major, and you were doing commercials. Has mm-hmm. this kind, the work you have done with these ensembles kind of been your school with these greats? Yeah, I was, that's a great way of putting it. It has, because I, you're right, I did not study improv. I did, I did more sketch comedy when I was in New York. And the thing about sketch comedy is you spend a lot of time on sketches refining them, finding the timing, finding the right wording. In words with improv, it's a very free-thinking, you know, no edit button where you're just going to go, and that was not my training at all. And so to be around people like Matt Walsh um, and David Cross and Arrested Development, I just was able to just, you know, with a front-row seat, just to kind of watch how they did it. And one thing I always, especially that Matt Walsh does that I love, that he always, his improv always comes from a place of truth. Mm-hmm. It never, he's never trying, he's never trying to find the joke. He's just, he's just, he's organically responding as you would, truthfully. And I love that because I always felt like with improv, there was always a pressure to find the joke. And he's really taught me that it's so much just about wherever you are, wherever you authentically, this character and yourself would bring to the table. Right. Your, your acting style reminds me a bit of, of Bob Newhart, that it's sort of a reactionary... Oh, my God, I love that you said that. That was I watched him and Ted Conway. Those were my two guys yeah, that Trevor I grew <laughs> up watching. Yeah, the Trevor Burnett show. And I, I loved them because they never pushed the comedy. No. And they would always stick in the tension. And so they would trust the circumstances that were around them and the chaos that was around them. And sometimes just seeing them sit in that tension was funny, just because you knew what was going on in their head. Which is what is so great with Gary. You, just your reactions behind Julia Louis is sort of that same type of acting, if, if I may say. <laughs> oh, thank you. I tell you, Gary does not... One thing I'm realizing is Gary does not have a poker face because no. she, like, has to... When she's impressed, she has to kind of put on a political face, even though she's a nightmare behind the scenes. She has to put a political face on and kind of have these very calm expressions. Gary's standing behind her, completely giving the expression that she wants to give, and is just just does not care. And he's on camera, and it's just like he has. It's like his poker face is the worst. Right. Right. But you, both with Arrested Development and in, in Veep, these ensembles, are you guys are so Im- amazingly tight. Do you guys have a lot of rehearsal period? You know, in Arrested, we didn't. Arrested, the Mitch Hurwitz who created the show, was, was, such a, was such a master. He had this kind of um, 
mad scientist like grid comic grid in his head of how he wanted the show to go down to the word and stuff and and so we never really veered from the page because for instance I would give jokes episodes back about my hand coming off, not knowing that my hand was gonna come off. Okay. So if I had veered from the script and then if I veered from the script then that joke then the foreshadowing wouldn't have happened and then my hand came off. Whereas with V they give us a lot of rehearsal. The writers work incredibly hard on these scripts and detail them out, but they give us space to kind of find it and if we want, come up with our own stuff. So the process is very different. But you're right about the tightness. Is There's definitely a respect that we have all, we all have for each other to trust mm-hmm. that really is necessary when it comes to comedy, that you know that you're on the same page when it comes to kind of the comic tone. Right, right. And may I ask you a little bit about Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Because, I mean, you were mentioning Carol Ooh. Brooks. She, she will be Ooh. one of the, remembered as one of the greats with all these years. What, what can you say that you have learned from her? Oh, my gosh. What have I not learned? Um, I, I would say just as a person, um, one of the main things I respect about Julia, with her comic history, this business is not her first priority. Her first priority is her family. Mm-hmm. And when that is someone's first priority, you can just tell in their work that it's, there's a freedom there. She doesn't have so much. She's not hanging on to the career so much. And the other thing is, she's number one in the call. Can I just interrupt there before you go on? Was that the same for you? Because oh, yeah. you had your daughter after Arrested Development, correct? Yeah. Did that change for you then also? Yeah. And I, in my, and I, well, however, I was married at okay. the time. And also, I would say my friends and my wife were, I was, that was my world. I mean, I, and you, you try to, you know, just having that, you, you, it was, I mean, Alexa was my first gig, so it was, um, I was learning that because it's very easy for it to become all-consuming. And right. you have to remember that this stuff is fleeting and it doesn't, that's not what your priority can be. Um, and so I was, I was learning that, but then an example of it was really Julia to me. Okay. And I mean, also the other people on the cast for Alexa, but I was in a very new place. But one thing that Julia does do that I, another thing that she does that I appreciate is, you know, she's the star of the show. And the star of the show really sets the tone for the, for the experience. And since she is so giving and so free, you're not walking on... Because I've heard of other shows where the, 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 the head star might be kind of a bit of an egomaniac. Mm-hmm. And what that gives is a real eggshell environment where everybody's trying to please that person and afraid. And that just sucks creativity out of a room. Right. Whereas with the whereas on Deep, um, Julie just really sets the tone of, of giving in a family environment. So everybody's really free to come up with ideas and be creative, and that's so necessary in the comedy. And it was similar on Arrested, too. It was a very free, free show, but I've heard of other experiences that people might have that aren't like that. I'm very fortunate to have these. Right. Um, and, and something that happened, which uh, was that the original creator, Armando Anucci, he ended his run on the show, and, and a new showrunner, David Mandel, started. Was that incredibly scary for you as a cast, changing sort of midstream? And, and how, how, how was that for you? Yep, yep. It was. It was. Um, I don't, I'm not, even though I'm in the most uncertain career possible, I'm not a huge fan of change. <laughs> yeah. not my forte. Neither am I. So, um, I, um, so when that shifted, it kind of felt like, I mean, 
even though I had huge admiration for why, because he wanted to spend more time with his family, it was really tough to travel because all of his family was in the UK. It was tough. Right. So I completely respected his choice. But it's still jarring because he created the tone of the show. He obviously created the whole thing. And so you really were concerned, like, who's going to captain the ship? Who's going to keep the similar tone going? And Julia had to have this relationship with Dave Mandel. And Dave just had all these conversations with Armando. And he also had done tremendous amounts of research. He had worked with Julia. And so there was a real trust there. And I'm telling you, going into fifth season, we were nervous. But it was just... I think it was as seamless as it could. It was just such a gift because you. I look at the episodes from from three. No, maybe it was, I'm sorry, three to four. Mm-hmm. Was it four? No, three to four to five. And it was the transition worked. Like Dave really got the voice, and we're all very grateful for that. Yeah, because it was seamless for us. I mean, you were one was wondering when one was reading, how is this going to go? But but it was. Totally seamless. Yeah, I mean, I think I will say like our first tape of read with all the new writers, it was a little bumpy because, mm-hmm. you know, each of us kind of had to have a conversation like, I don't think this would be Gary Boyd and someone else. So it was definitely bumpy, but then when they got their stride, it clicked in. So right. it definitely there was a little bump on the road, but it definitely got its stride. So, whew, we are grateful for that. Right. Um, I know I don't have a lot of time left, but I just wanted to ask if it's true that your mother worked as a staff assistant to a state representative. And if so, did you do you take things from what you learned from her on, on the series? Yeah, that would involve me having a memory of, of being in high school. Okay. <laughs> you have, are you saying you blocked everything out? <laughs> it seems like it because my memory is just shot. But um, she had a great experience. Her name is Kathy Ash. I remember the representative she she worked for. And um, my mom, it actually wasn't just that. She also helped, helped uh, Bob Graham's campaign in Florida for governor and maybe the Senate, one of the two. But she, my parents were very involved in the kind of political world. And what I always remember is they always had a great experience. I never, I never got the sense of like it was a burden or there was a lot of negativity. It was always a very positive experience. So that I do remember. Okay, so that but there's nothing you remember that you've taken with you to this role. Not really, not really. My, I mean, the deep experience is just the opposite. It's just full of cynicism and you know, and darkness. Right. <laughs> and um, what, I, what I remember is that they were kind of volunteers and they just were always enjoying going to the benefits and, and helping people out and so it was just the opposite right i have this feeling that that selena and gary are gonna grow old together do you see anything for them in the future oh well it's gary's dream they get married <laughs> i mean that's like that's 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 gonna happen they're gonna walk down the aisle in gary's world so i think if Selena heard that she would probably get a restraining order against Gary, but in his world, it's like, no, it's going to happen. <laughs> so, um, but I think, yeah, I can see them, I can see them living in a, in a home years down the road, and that's Gary's dream, and of course, it's Selena's nightmare, but it's Gary's dream. <laughs> and is there anything new coming out of Arrested Development? Yeah, well, it's looking, I'm cautiously optimistic. You are. I am. I, I see it, I, really, I mean, they're really starting, it seems like things are, you know, looking good. I mean, they've, they've called us all, and it seems like it, and everybody's on the, everybody wants to do it. I think it's now just about 
getting the schedules, but it's looking things are starting to kind of materialize. So I'm I'm yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic because you know the business is you never know what kind of twists and turns are going to happen. But we all want to do it, and, I, and selfishly, I kind of want to see I want to see where the story goes because. The last thing that happened was something happened to my girlfriend, Liza Minnelli, and that was not easy, so I want to know what happened. <laughs> no. Buster's world. <laughs> right. Well, well, I'm looking forward, and I can't wait to see um, season six uh, here premiering. I've seen the first three, but I'm not going to spoil anything. It's amazing, and, and thank you so much for taking your time oh, to talk good. to me. Oh, good. I haven't seen the first three. Did you like them? It was, they're amazing. They're really, I mean, that's what I was saying, the sort of the post-presidency world, and it does seem um, like she's searching for what she's going to, what legacy she will have, and it takes a lot of twists and turns. Oh, Excellent. yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad. I haven't seen them. It's so good to hear. Thank you so much to Mr. Tony Hale. Season 6 of Veep premieres on HBO April 16th and April 17th on HBO Nordic here in Scandinavia. You will not want to miss this. And thank you for listening. Um, if you enjoy the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes or SoundCloud or send us a message on Twitter at PodPopCulture and follow us on Instagram, PopCultureConfidential. This show was edited by Tom Hansen, theme music by Carl Borg, and produced by René Wittestedt and myself. I'm Christina jörling Biro. Thank you so much for listening. Hey Hey there! there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo. And co-hosts of Sleepover Sleepover Cinema. Cinema. Our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.